Those of you who like singing, don't worry, we are going to do more in a bit. I'm not going to preach till 12 o'clock. Um, and we will have a reading, but the person who's doing the reading hasn't got back from kids' church yet. So we're just going to wing it, sort of. That's all right. So we're wrapping up this little teaching series called One Another, um, and I've saved the hardest talk till the end. So a little health warning right from the outset, which is that um, the scripture today is challenging, and I think it's something we probably need to pay attention to as a church. I certainly need to pay attention to it in my own life. And, And so can I pray that we are open to the spirit and full of grace for one another Lord help us to hear your word to not defend ourselves from it and one another but be open to the life giving freedom that you long to give us through your spirit and through your word Amen Amen. I had uh, two conversations recently Uh, one super encouraging where someone was telling me about how they'd ended up coming back to faith having uh, grown up in a Christian home, rejected uh, church and Christianity in their teenage years and then 30 years later when their life fell apart in various ways it was her Christian friends that showed her kindness and compassion and encouraged her and loved her didn't extend judgment, but extended grace and really carried her. Uh, And so much so that she realized that perhaps she was wrong to have rejected the God that she was introduced to as a child and has come back into the life of the church and to an intimate relationship with the loving father. How encouraging. This loving one another stuff, it really works. The other conversation, I have to be honest, was really quite discouraging. And it's with someone I know, who's a friend of mine, who's not a Christian, doesn't come to this church, but who was at a party recently and overheard a couple of people who are Christians talking about someone who wasn't there in the most inappropriate way. And he was just reflecting to me how much it confirmed his issue with the church and with us hypocritical Christians. He was shocked at the way this person was being spoken about by two people who, whether they like this person or not, are called to love them. There's work for us to do always on this, isn't there? So how we love one another really matters. I hope you've been hearing that as we've tried to teach into this this, uh, month. And whether we love one another is really the deal-breaker. It's costly. It's really hard. But that's where the money's at. That's what we've signed up for. So let's quit playing games. Let's do it. It's very powerful. And the possibilities are endless. But so are the consequences if we don't do it. The cost to our reputation, to the reputation of Jesus to the lives of other people is often huge. So this is the final talk, but in a sense it probably should have come second after Paul's brilliant introduction to all of this. 
Because actually what I'm talking about this morning isn't kind of um, level five expert level or loving one another for the super keen, super holy Christians. This is foundational stuff. Actually, without the stuff we're going to talk about this morning, we can't actually very easily do the kindness and the encouragement and the compassion and all the other one another's that we perhaps could have looked at if we'd had a longer series. We're talking this morning about bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. This is the starting point. It's the floor, not the ceiling, for how we engage relationally with one another. So Andy, in a moment, is going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. So grab your Bible, turn it open to chapter 4. And what we're going to do is we're going to do the classic uh, three-part sermon. We're going to ask the question, what does the text say? Then we're going to ask the question, so what? Like, what, what does this mean? Why should I pay attention? Why should I care? And then the third question, now what? What on earth do I need to go away from here and do differently? So what, so what, now what? Ephesians chapter 4, over to you, Andy. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. So it's on page 1185 of the Church Bibles, if you have one of those. It's Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thank you. So Ephesians chapter 4. I've just noticed that my, my page in my Bible is ripped because I've read it so many times. It's a key passage. Keep it open in front of you. Um, you'll know if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a little bit of Ephesians 4 later on, the back end of Ephesians 4. Uh, and what we have in Ephesians is this masterpiece from Paul the Apostle trying to help us understand who we are and what it means to be the people of God. And so in chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians, he's exhorting us to to see, really, this unfolding vision of the eternal purposes of God, to grasp what it is that God was up to in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul says it's nothing short of a whole new society, a whole new humanity made in the image of God. This fractured and alienated humanity is put back together in and through and around the person of Jesus Christ. There's unity and reconciliation and wholeness and holiness. And then chapters 4 through to 6 are really this encouragement or this exhortation, I guess, to, to live it out. If this is who God is and what he's doing, then this is who you are and how you should live. 
This is the response that we are to make. And in short, he says, your conduct should be worthy of your calling. Notice what it says in verse 1. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And the calling is to be the people of God, to love one another in such a way that the world looks on and sees how God loves them. There's nothing less or more to it than that, really, and it's a lifelong call. And he essentially puts two key things into our imagination in this little passage, two characteristics, if you like, of this new humanity that we're called to live out and embody as the church. And notice that we're called to be one people. We're called to be one because God is one and we are one with him. So there's one Father, there's one Lord, there's one baptism, there's one faith, and therefore there can only be one body. You and I are part of the church, not a church. The second thing that we're called to be, and if we were to read on, we'd see this, is a holy people. So united and holy, because God is holy. And God only dwells in holy places, and we are the, ple- the, dr- the dwelling place of God on the earth. So we need to be holy. We need to live a life worthy of our calling, to be one in him and to be holy like he is, so that we can be all that we're called to be, so that other people in our family can become all that they're called to be, and so that those who are called to add- be added into our family can discover freedom, grace, forgiveness, etc., so unity and purity are a big deal in the rest of, a ch- uh, of these three chapters. Have a look at some point. And there are five qualities that he teases out in verse 2. Five things that he indicates would be markers of a church really doing this. Okay? A humble, gentle, patient, forbearing and marked by love. That's verse 2. Those five things are in there really clearly. We're going to home in on this idea of bearing with one another, but we could easily have done a whole morning on humility or patience or other things. And notice that actually that's in light of what he says in verse 3. Because we are one in Christ, we must make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, a couple of things to notice. It's, number one, make every effort, not some effort on a good day. When we feel like it, is it just me, or are there some days where you kind of, it's easier to be a Christian than others? Hello? Yeah, just a few. <laughs> Thought for a moment it was just me. Uh, and, and it's to keep the unity of the Spirit. So theologians will tell you that we are united in Christ. And so what Paul essentially is saying is you are united in Christ, go be united. It's not uh, make every effort to help the Spirit get to some point of unity. It's no, no, there is unity, now keep it. Don't do anything that causes you and therefore other people to become a divided family when in Christ you are united because of his life, death, and resurrection. And woe to those of us who willingly perpetuate division, which, by the way, at points will be all of us. So we're in this together. 
And the call in this little verse to bear with one another is one of the really challenging one another statements that we find. Andrew Lincoln, who's one of the best commentators really on Ephesians, says this. He says, love is seen, he's talking about this passage, love is seen as the only means of Christian forbearance. You cannot bear with one another unless you love the person that you find difficult. Bearing with others, he says, means fully accepting them in their uniqueness, including their weakness and faults, and allowing them worth and space. In other words, bearing with one another does not mean just tolerating that person in the church that you find really irritating finding some way to manage your involvement with the church so that you don't really have to speak to them. Ignoring them. Do you ever have those moments where you're walking down the high street or you're in the supermarket and you see someone you don't like? Someone from church that you find really exhausting? Someone from church that's upset you, perhaps? Do you ever kind of just double back because you've forgotten something from the milk aisle? Does your phone mysteriously ring at that moment? Hello, Mum. I've seen, you, I've, seen, I've seen people do it. I do it. Because we don't know what to do. We don't know how to handle it. Paul's going, no. That's not bearing with one another. That's called avoiding one another. And he doesn't say that. Okay? It's about seeking the will of God for the people we struggle to love. Why? Because whether we like it or not, they're our brother and sister. And because to be united as one people, we have to love one another like Christ loves us. And just to remind you, you're not always that likable and you're not always that lovable, but Jesus loves you anyway. And so if he can do it for us, we must do it for one another. Paul says something similar uh, actually in Colossians. So if you just uh, go right a bit, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. I think there's a slide for this as well. Paul basically says virtually the same thing to the church in Colossae as he says to the church in Ephesus. He says this in verse 12. Therefore, in other words, given what I've just said, whatever that was, here's what he says. As God's chosen people, called, holy, Remember that word? Dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Jesus, sorry, Paul had, he was an itinerant minister. He had the same sermon that he delivered all around the place, which is what other itinerant ministers do these days. And then he says this, verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. We'll come back to that in a moment. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's the same thing. It's key, foundational, formative Christianity. Robert Wall, in his commentary on Colossians, says this, and I think this is the key to what we're talking about this morning. He says that Paul calls us to be vulnerable to grace in order to achieve newfound intimacy where hostility once existed. I'm going to say that again. Paul calls us to be vulnerable to grace in order to achieve newfound intimacy where hostility once existed. In other words, 
We are called to live in such a way that with the help of God, we can move towards somebody that we struggle with in grace and learn to love them. People we don't like, people we've struggled with, people who've hurt us, people who are different to us. In order that, they have space and time to be loved and nurtured as someone made in the image of God. And people do that for you, and so let's do it for other people. So that's the what, that's the easy bit. So what? I think this gets to the heart of the issue for us as a church, or part of the church. Will we learn to love the people that we find it really hard to love? That's the litmus test. It's easy to love people we like. It's really hard to love people that are hard to love. Will we become vulnerable to grace for other people? Will we resolve to do more than just tolerate somebody? You know, just put it up with them. Will we do more than just manage our relationship with them so we don't actually have to go there? Will we let love find a way to unite us, to give expression to what God has done for each and every one of us? So bearing with one another means proactively moving towards others in grace and love, at least for the sake of unity, but actually because in the grand scheme of things, if we do that, we find that we will be better for it too. Because when you learn to do that, you realise everyone's a gift, that there's gold in everybody, and that you could learn from them something of what it is to be human. If only you would cross the divide. If only you would let love go first. And so this all means that we need to find some better ways, friends, to deal with some of the relational challenges that we all face in our lives and in our shared life as All Saints Worcester. It's got to become something more than just this kind of very clever tolerating and managing. We as humans are very adept at avoiding the issues. It's a self-defense mechanism. We all learn to do it in childhood and we just get more sophisticated with it in adulthood. But actually it traps us and it traps other people. And Paul would say, no. It's not an option for the people of God. So we avoid people we don't like. You do. I do. We avoid people who've hurt us in some way. We withdraw emotionally. We may have to be in the same room as them, but we can learn to avoid making eye contact. We see them come in that door, so we head over to this side. We don't go to the small group that we're used to anymore because that person's still in it. We don't confront the issue, we just avoid it. We avoid the issues. We don't know what to do with it. So we just withdraw. And eventually, if we're not careful, we just withdraw completely. And before we know, we're not even here. And we're actually nowhere, often. Rather than becoming more and more united in love as a people, we become divided by difference. Quite the opposite of what Paul is envisioning us for here. Quite the opposite of what Jesus has died on the cross for. This isn't the kind of unity that Jesus is after, this sort of pseudo-holy tolerance. 
where we're all one together, but actually underneath the surface there's burning resentment, hard-heartedness towards other people. I know that this is going on because I'm the, I'm the pastor of this church. And I hear, and I hear it. I, everything gets back to me eventually. And we hear it in each other, don't we? We'll hear each other saying things. We'll hear ourselves saying things. We struggle with one another. No kidding. I mean, like, this is the only... Jesus is the only reason why we'd all be trying to do family together. I mean, have a look around. You're all a bit weird. in the best possible way. This, this isn't easy. This, it, the miracle to me, or, or the wonder to me, isn't that we fight and fall out. It's that we don't fight more. We don't fall out more. I, I think it's amazing that we're so healthy and functional. But there's work to do. And what we do, if we're not careful, is we kind of learn this kind of pseudo-spiritual version of everything seeming okay on the surface, but actually underneath it's really not. It's actually passive-aggressive, and it's conflict-averse, and it's really dysfunctional. And eventually, it comes home to roost. It eats us alive on the inside, stops us from being free, and stops us from really learning to love one another. It's actually, I think, one of the reasons why churches stop growing. Because we're all so busy managing our dysfunctional relationships that we've sort of pretended are okay at the expense of actually just lavishing grace on anybody who happens to come by us, which is actually what Jesus did. Why is that? Well, people write entire books on this. I've read some of them this week. But ultimately, it comes down to fear. It comes down to fear. And with fear often comes some pride, And so in reality, it's a combination of them both. We avoid people, and we avoid the issues we have with people because we're afraid. We're afraid of people who are different to us, that we don't understand, because they threaten us. Which is why like attracts like, and we have a divided society. But Paul says, because of what Jesus has done, there is now no male or female Greek or Jew, free or slave. There's only one in Christ. C.S. Lewis said the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all in it together. And so the people of God should be showing the world what it looks like to not have difference because of fear. Paul prays that we be rooted and established in love, doesn't he? To know together how long and wide and high and deep is the love of God for us. The kind of love, that perfect love actually, that casts out all fear. And so to quote Bob Goff, we can love everybody always because we have no reason to be afraid. And yet we are because we've not learned to love them. We've not learned to see them as God would see them. We're afraid of being exposed, people knowing what's really going on. By the way, we all see each other a bit more clearly than we think people do. (laughs) It's easier to see the faults in someone else, isn't it? Owen Heaslip, who used to be here, has this great phrase that we all bleed our stuff. We can often see each other bleeding, but not notice that we're bleeding ourselves. We're afraid of being challenged, of criticism, of people knowing that we're not really what we say we are or present as. 
Is this just me? Am I, am I describing myself? Or, or can I put your hand up if you like? <laughs> Thank goodness. All right. And the reality is we're afraid actually of facing our own sin and our own pain and our own brokenness because it's really hard. And so what pride does is it gives us a little self-defense mechanism. And we make someone else or something else the problem. We, take a, we externalize this internal problem for us. And for as long as someone else or something else is the problem, then we don't actually have to face ourselves. That's a human survival instinct. But the grace of God in Jesus Christ means you don't have to live like that anymore. And in theory, we're meant to love one another in such a way that we experience that in community and therefore we can be free together. It's what um, psychologists call projection. We project onto somebody else our stuff. So if you think about a video projector, uh, we used to have them here, precariously balanced on psalm books. Um, and and the, the image is in the projector, but you see it on the wall, right? On the screen. We project. What we do is we take our stuff and we project it onto somebody else. We do it with church leaders, just so you know. We do it with... If we're married, we do it with our marriage partner. We do it with all sorts of people in all sorts of ways. We project onto somebody else our stuff. Because that way we don't have to face our stuff. And they become the problem. And we become the victim. And we just learn to tolerate and manage them. It's really dysfunctional. Richard Raw says that pain that we don't let God transform is pain that we then transmit. We're all transmitting pain all the time. Some of us louder than others, but we're all doing it. And the call is to let God transform our internal pain so we don't transmit it, we don't project it onto someone else. Because that doesn't free us when we do that, and it actually traps somebody else. Are you with me so far? This is really important, isn't it? But really hard. And Paul says, if, you, if we tolerate that, if we let our, each other live like that, then, then we're not being true to who we are. We're not living out this calling, this identity. We're actually perpetuating the very thing that Jesus came to resolve. The thing that's meant to unite us can divide us. And, and can I just say, and please hear this, but... You know, we don't, we don't just pick a teaching series because we've read some books and we fancy kind of telling you what we've been interested in all week. We pick teaching series prayerfully because we listen to what we believe the Spirit's calling us as a church to pay attention to. So we've been going somewhere with this series. And I think the stuff we're talking about today, I think this is the challenge for us as the people of God here in this moment. I think we're really good at kindness and compassion and actually getting better at encouragement. Owen got more encouragement last week than he's ever had in his whole life. <laughs> Which, given he preached on encouragement, really encouraged me. But I don't think we're very good at dealing with difference. I think there are quite a number of relational challenges that, between us all, we've allowed to just linger and be perpetuated and we've avoided them and I think probably in this season we're in as God's preparing us for what lies ahead I think the spirit is wanting to say to us come on let's deal with that let's face it 
Some of those are issues that some of you have with me. I'm just about to crucify myself again, so be nice. Because in reality, I will have failed a number of you. I will have disappointed some of you. I haven't been all the things that you want me to be because the expectations some of you have on me are unrealistic. I'm only human. Sometimes I've just got it wrong. Sometimes I'm the one that you project your stuff onto, and then when I don't do what you think I should do, you see, look, prove, he doesn't really like me after all. But it's not just me. It's all sorts of ways it gets manifest in church life. And the only churches I know that are better at it than others are the ones that talk about it. I don't think it's a problem that we have these challenges. I think that's healthy. It says to me we've got difference in the room. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want a diverse community, but, but we've got to learn to deal well with those challenges, not just become sophisticated at avoiding and managing and tolerating and pretending. Let's be gutsy enough to trust in grace. So now what? Here are three things, as I wrap this up, that I think uh, all of us need to be doing if we're serious about learning to bear with one another. Number one, this might seem counterintuitive when we're talking about one another, but we're actually really talking about us, aren't we? Number one, you need to face your stuff. I need to face my stuff. You need to face your stuff. We, as a church, need to face our stuff. One of the reasons why we're having a church weekend away, one of the reasons why we haven't invited a guest speaker in to come and just talk at us all weekend long, give us more information and more knowledge, is because actually we need some time together. We need to have fun together. We need to remember why we're family. We need to muck about in the sunshine. We need to sit and read the paper together. It's going to be really hot and sunny. Like... You know, gin and tonic on the lawn. That's, that's, how great is it going to be? When we spend time together, it's, we go, oh yeah, they're great, aren't they? We need to face our stuff. The problem isn't them. The problem isn't him or her or the vicar. I'm not saying there are issues that you need to tackle with people, but ultimately the problem is you. And the problem is me. That's the reality. Jesus is very clear, isn't he? You know, don't point out the speck in someone else's eye and miss the log in yours. Just assume for a moment that you have stuff to deal with. And that if you haven't dealt with it, you are transmitting it. You are projecting it. You are using it, unwittingly probably, as a self-defense mechanism and making someone else the problem. And rather than facing up to it and confronting it and dealing with it, we just avoid and manage and tolerate and we all pretend. But actually, it's all there. And Jesus looks on and goes, that's not unity. So you and I, we've just got to be brave enough to look at who and what we're avoiding, why, where there's pride in us, what are we trying to protect in us, what threatens us, what is it that actually if we just let someone see who we really are that God could set us free from. We need to be really brave and 
ask whether there are people we need to forgive. We need to be willing to resolve stuff with people. And do you know what? One of the things that happens, I had a conversation with someone recently. I'm not going to say who it was. But it kind of reflected, illustrated some of what I'm talking about. And without me realising it, I had said something to them about four years ago, which they misunderstood. Because I don't always communicate perfectly. Do you? And on the basis of one thing, it was a misunderstanding. This distance and difference and therefore division had grown up between me and this person. I was blissfully unaware of it. But actually, it massively affected our relationship. Now, thankfully, they were brave enough to face the issue and in all of that, recognised that some of it was their stuff. And that made it easier for me to say, oh, but it's probably some of my stuff too. And, oh, yeah, you're my brother. Let's be brother and sister, not kind of colleagues. Is that all right? So, people have hurt you. People have failed you. People haven't met your expectations. I know that. But you know what? You've failed other people. You've hurt people. You've not met their expectations. It's called doing life together. And we've got one of two choices. We can either work on it as we go, or we can avoid the issues, let them store up, and then they all come tumbling down later. As I prayed, the picture in my head was like, um, rather than, um, was of people, all of us, going around picking up rubbish and putting it in a bag. And rather than kind of working out the issue with people, dealing with our rubbish, our crap, that's a biblical word, Paul does use that word, uh, what we do is we just absorb it, and we think, because we've just got to deal with it. And what we do is we don't know what to do with it, so we shove it in a cupboard. And then we take a bit more and we shove it in a cupboard and we take a bit more and we shove it in a cupboard. And eventually, the cupboard doors just fling open. And the whole thing comes tumbling out. And the issues are way bigger than they needed to be. And what we have is a God who says, let me take your rubbish, guys. Let me into this moment you've got between you where there's some difference. Whatever it is, and let's work it out together so you don't end up having to absorb it somehow. Does that make any sense? That's the first thing we need to do. The second thing we need to do is deal with difference. We actually need to deal with it. Two things here, real quick. You need to get to know the people you don't get. Get to know people you don't get. Get to know people who are different to you. You'll realise that you've got way more in common with them than you have difference. Everyone's fighting a hard battle. Everyone's got pain. Everyone's got hopes, everyone's got dreams, everyone's got fears, everyone's got anxieties. You'll find at least one thing that you can agree on. You will. And you start there. So cross the room. Cross the social divide. Cross from one huddle into another. Go first. Don't wait for someone else. It's fun. I find it really hard. I'm a shy introvert. I I really am. I find it really hard. Owen, on the other hand... It's like Peter Pan. You know, woohoo, people! So I'm watching and learning from him, literally. The second thing we need to do is we need to work out the stuff we've got going on with people. We need to deal with our differences. We need to cross the divide, take the risk, say sorry, fight for unity, fight for the relationship. Remember that, that wall quote? Paul calls us to be vulnerable to grace in order to achieve newfound intimacy where hostility once existed. Deal with the differences. 
Colossians 3, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And finally, we need to find the golden people. We need to find the golden people. Each one of us is uniquely made in the image of God. There are incredible things about each and every one of you. Most of us don't know it, which is why we need encouragement. So it's not enough just to stop managing and tolerating. It's not enough just to sort of deal with the differences and then kind of go, okay, we're cool now. We've got to go a step further and love people into life. Champion them. Encourage them. Name what's good about them. Call out their destiny. Reaffirm their mandate. Say to them, this is who you are and I'm with you and I'm for you. And yes, we're completely different. But isn't it amazing that because of grace and love and this thing called Jesus and the kingdom of God, we are together and together God entrusts us to show the world what he's like. How amazing is that? Aren't we better off when we're different? That's the level that we've got to get to. That's what Paul means when he says, bear with one another. It's really hard, but it is possible. It's the beautiful way of Jesus. It's what Jesus actually did for us. And Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything for him that he hasn't first asked us, hasn't first done for us. So Peter quotes Isaiah 55 when he says this, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins. If Jesus can bear with us to the point of death, unto life for us, then frankly, we don't have an excuse to not bear with one another. He did this so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Jesus faced our stuff for us so we can face our stuff. Jesus has dealt with the differences between who we are and who we're called to be so that we can be united to God and one another. And he calls life and gold out of us every single day because mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's stand.